Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com. And you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level. There's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. All right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast is Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt's Ruben Rivera from 10th Planet. He is also a former MMA fighter and is uh, in the works of opening up his own gym as a 10th Planet affiliate in Dallas. And he was originally uh, leading the school out in Costa Mesa out in California where I met up with him. And I think you actually had a, a couple of schools out there. And so um, I was doing a little, a little reading on you, man. A competitive BJJ guy, uh, MMA guy. Uh, transitioning into business owner. So um, tell people a little bit about mm-hmm. the resume for you on the jiu-jitsu side. Oh man, I think I think this year it's gonna be 12 years. I think 12 years that I've been doing jiu-jitsu, you know, and, and uh, it started it started kind of interesting. You know, I remember one of my friends, my friends from school, I hadn't seen him in a while and, and uh, he looked at me and he said, dude, are, are you getting a kind of a beer belly? And he was like making fun of me. And so that was that moment, right? I was 21 and that was that moment where I was like, man, like I think I've been drinking too much beer, you know, I was starting to get a beer belly at the time. And uh, so I started thinking about how do I get in shape? You know, I started looking into how to get in shape. And so I went and saw a couple gyms. I tried a couple different type of gyms, you know, weightlifting, just your standard, you know, go and lift some weights, go and, uh, you know, I don't know, go and jog or whatever. And, and I would just get super bored man you know like I, I just always found weightlifting so boring like even to this day and there's nothing against it I actually I enjoy weightlifting because I know it's good for me but at the same time like it's hard man it's hard for my the way my brain works it's hard for me to keep track of my reps so anyways long story short I, I thought to myself man how cool would it be if I could get in shape and also learn how to fight you know because you know probably Mexican culture you know we, we love boxing and so I had grown up watching that boxing I dabbled in it a little bit myself you know when I was younger and so I thought well how cool would it be if I actually like learned how to fight properly now instead of just throwing on some gloves and sparring with your homies in the backyard like how cool would it be if I actually learned how to fight and so uh, I hit up some friends of mine that knew some guys and they recommended a place called Undisputed Fitness and so I went and I tried a class and I loved it and uh, that was just that was the beginning man that was was just like I never left after that you know I, I never stopped training and 
And uh, I had my first MMA fight, I think six months in, you know, my, my coaches, they, they had a lot of uh, belief in me, you know, they thought I was really talented and, and driven at the time. And, uh, and I was, I was, and <clears throat> so they, they put me in an MMA fight. I, I, in a way I look back at it now and I'm like, man, it's kind of a gamble, you know, I've only got only six months of experience, but I won that fight by TKO. And, uh, and then I kept, I kept doing a little bit of MMA, you know, we, we have Jackson's here in New Mexico. And so, you know, uh, every now and then we would travel up to Jackson's. My, my coach, uh, had trained there himself when he was still fighting. And, and so he would send me up there, Hey, you know, I got, I got a guy coming, he's getting ready for a fight, you know, like you guys could help him out, give him some rounds, and, you know, stuff like that. So I was really fortunate, you know, I, I, I don't think I even understood the value of what I had back then, you know, because, uh, MMA was still not necessarily in its infancy, but I think that the popularity wasn't as great as it is now. You know, we're talking like WEC days, right? Where like you, you, if you wanted to be an MMA fighter and you weighed less than 155 pounds, there was no division for you unless you were in the WEC like that. That's how far back it was. Right. <clears throat> and so even though Jackson's was already an established MMA gym, I don't think that, I mean, I didn't understand the value of it back then. I, I knew because people would tell me my, my, my friends, my, my training partners would tell me like what a big deal it was, but looking back at it, at it now, I'm just like, man, like that was the place to be, you know? So, so I had, I was fortunate to have those people, uh, you know, just one degree away from me, you know, and I got to train with a lot of great guys, a lot of, a lot of talented guys. Um, you know, I, I remember being in the room and, and seeing uh, cowboy Donald Cerrone training next to me, you know, seeing Leonard Garcia, you know, seeing all these guys that, that you know now that, that are established names and, and just being in the same room with them, you know, and, and uh, that was really cool. You know, Michelle Watterson was there, uh, John Bones Jones, you know, like he was already, I think around at the time, you know, so, so a lot of guys like that. And, and so it was really cool, man. It was really cool. And, and, uh, but you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, in a way, my, my coach, you know, and, and uh, Tate Fletcher, who was my first jujitsu coach and MMA coach, I would say, um, he kind of like discouraged me from pursuing MMA. And the reason for it, I think, uh, we, we've talked about it a bunch, but the reason he discouraged me was he was just like, man, like, you're a smart kid. He's like, you know, you're, you're a smart kid. You have uh, other talents. He's like, unless you really, really love fighting, He's like, you should probably um, stick to something else because he always, the way, the way he always explained it to me is he's like, you know, fighting is a short lived career for most people. You know, you're going to fight maybe 10 years and then you got to start thinking about what, what else you got, what else are you going to do? And I think that, that in a way he was kind of like um, projecting his life and how his life had, had kind of turned out onto me, you know, where he was just like, I fought all these years of my life and now I have nothing to show for it. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this next part of my life. And so he would always tell me that he'd go, you know, most fighters end up being coaches. And if you're going to be a coach, you may as well be a coach right now. You may as well start setting that up right now. And so, you know, he, he, he gave me a lot of advice and in a way he kind of discouraged me from fighting. And, and uh, I, I understand what he was trying to, to say to me at the time, you know, because I, I do think that it really takes a, a real, passion for for fighting to to do what those guys do you know I have a lot of respect for those guys and and uh and it really takes a lot of passion because it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough job you know I mean as you know like 
there's not a lot of money at the beginning, you know, and you, and you have to be extremely hardworking, dedicated, disciplined. Your diet has to be on point. You, you got to be a, a supreme athlete to be an MMA fighter, especially in today's world. You really have to, uh, to be, to be great at what you do. And so, um, yeah, man, I ended up kind of, uh, focusing more on jujitsu. And then what's crazy is that then my coach got me into the film industry. And so I started doing stunts he got me into the stunt world and so I started doing stunts and that was really cool and then um and then I kind of fell out of love with the in, with the film industry and I left that and I moved to California you know and I started teaching out there with my friend Casey Halstead with the, the 10 Planet Orange County schools and uh that's where I met you man that's kind of like a long story short of my my jiu-jitsu career man or my jiu-jitsu kind of yeah life in short I didn't know you were doing stunts. That's crazy. Yeah, man. I did stunts for like, I think it was like seven, seven or eight years. I did stunts for this for the film industry. And uh, the majority, I would say the vast majority of it, I did it actually here in New Mexico. A lot of people don't know that, that New Mexico has a pretty thriving film industry. You know, they um, film, Film uh, executives love it here because we have like 300 days of, of, uh, of uh, what is it called, uh, sun, you know, and so the weather's great. They can film here a lot. We got, we got studios. Netflix Studios is here now. Uh, you know, they, they have a lot of studios in, in New Mexico. And um, so a lot of shows come here to film. A lot of movies come here to film. And so, you know, we were able to kind of supplement uh, our, our kind of daily lives. You know, I was like, like jujitsu instructor. Uh, slash, you know, I would do stunts because it wasn't a full, it wasn't like a full-time job where you're working Monday through Friday or whatever. You, you might work a couple of weeks and then you might have a month off and then you might work two days and you might have two weeks off. It was just kind of random, right? Like you never know how many days they're going to need you for or whatever. And so um, I did stunts for a long time. And then, uh, yeah, man, I just kind of, uh, I just kind of fell, fell out of love with the, with the, I guess the political side of, of, film you know or the, the the stunt film industry at least here locally you know I just kind of got got kind of bored of of dealing with that and navigating through that and I was just like man screw, screw this stuff you know what I mean like screw it like I don't even care about the money like I just want to do jujitsu it's good money it's really good money and and if anything that's probably the part that I miss the most uh, well I'm, the stunts are really fun too but I mean uh you know it was kind of one of those decisions where I was just like nah man like I'm not happy I'm going to do what, what makes me happy, even if it doesn't pay me a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I was giving up a lot of my, my happiness and my, my inner peace to do these things, you know, because it, it's a crazy world, man. It's cutthroat. You know, the, the film industry is, is cutthroat, you know, they, they, uh, long hours, you know, and, and not that, not that the hours ever really got to me, but you know, you, you, you got to do what you're told. You got to be there when you're told to be there. And, and you, you know, if you screw up uh, others, people's names on the lines and, and there's just a lot of pressure. It's a, it's very like, there's a lot of pressure. And, and I think I excelled well in, in stunts in that way, because I was used to that pressure from MMA and from even jujitsu, you know, but, but at the same time, um, you know, and, 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 I felt like there was, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of haters, man. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of very insecure people. Uh, and, and I think that's just in general in the world, but especially in stunts, there's a lot of insecurity. And so a lot of dudes are trying to, to, to keep you beneath them. You know, they, they want, they want you to be beneath them and be under their, their 
orders and their command and and but they never done anything in their lives you know what i mean and, but there's this hierarchy and it's just a weird thing man you know what i mean like it's kind of like like when you um it's kind of like having an instructor in jujitsu that never rolls with you you know what i mean or if he does roll with you he'll like he'll like stop you mid-roll and start teaching you if he feels like he's getting tired or you're you're getting you're getting the best of him or something you know what i mean it's kind of like that like they don't want you to win they don't want you to get better than them they don't want you to you know and so i just I, you know long story short man i got tired of dealing with that you know as much as i love stunts as much as i i loved actually doing the thing you know the 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 choreographing the fights doing the fights you know helping uh, uh film them you know film the previses for the directors and and of course you know doing cool stuff you know jumping off stuff you know driving cars fast you know whatever it was that we were doing i love that stuff man who, who wouldn't love that stuff but um i just don't miss the politics man even even right now talking about it like just like i don't i don't miss that other part man if 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 it was if it was a lot if if it could be cool like if if dudes would be cool i i would i would love to come back but um there's just a lot of insecurity man there's just a lot of weirdness dude you know and so anyways I left that, you know, and, and when I, when I did leave it, I really did feel like I, I, I brought peace back to my life. Like, I think just, just having that, that, that dis like that disdain or that anger towards certain people and, and that, like playing that game, you know, of, of, give me one sec, man. Oh, uh, just playing that game, you know, of, um, I don't know, man, trying to, trying to be on people's good sides or, or, or you see dudes sucking up to people. And it's like, it's like, it, al it almost reminds me of like high school again, man, you know, like, like basically trying to fit in into the cool kids club because the cool kids are all the guys that get hired, right? They, they, they want to work with their friends, right? So they, if you're going to spend 16 hours a day, you know, eight, five days a week or whatever, you, you want to be with the people you like. And so a lot of times these guys, they, they click up, it's like a click, you know? And so if you want to work, you got to be a part of the click. Right. And so it's very clicky in that way, I guess. And I just got tired of of trying to to fit into this group of people that that I that I just didn't that I didn't feel like I fit into, man. You know what I mean? Like and and so uh, so I really I, I left that, man. I left I left that I left that world. I left that that money and, and uh, I went to the world that I do feel like I fit into, you know, a lot better. And and, uh, you know, I just I love jujitsu, man. I, I to this to this moment, I still love jujitsu. And uh, if if um, this quarantine has showed me anything is that I I need jujitsu, man, I need jujitsu in my life. And so I don't know where this all goes, man. But but uh, yeah, it's crazy, dude. It's crazy. But um, yeah. So anyway. So yeah, let me know if I'm talking too much. No, nah, no, nah, you're good, man. You, 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 you hit a couple of different points that I definitely wanted to touch on with you. One of them definitely being the politics of, of stuff. And the other one um, being a little bit of that, that, that tribal kind of cool kids club thing, because it's funny, you know, I talk to people from a lot of different walks of life and more and more I'm hearing that same thing of people are happy with what they do, but the people that they're doing it with are just ruining the experience and it's burning them out and like the toxicity of the situation. And, you know, I think a lot of things that people think, would be great. That turns out to be what it is. Like you hear um, when you listen to like the Rogan podcast and this, the Hollywood guys are like, man, I, I like acting. I like creating, but you know, the film industry or Hollywood or this or that. And I think I, I have found that there is a cool kids club in a lot of different things in the, you know, parlay mm -hmm. conversation. I thought it was amazing because my, 
my brother, I tried to get into some, into, to get into like MMA. I sent out the Longos a little bit and things weren't really sticking. And he initially started doing jujitsu before me at Mad Sarah's. And then I went back and then I don't know why, but for one year I was like, all right, this is the last time I'm going to try and get him to get into like boxing or martial arts or something. So I bought him a year at Sarah's and he went and he just fell in love and he started training all the time. And his whole attitude changed, his personality changed, his friendships. He literally changed as a person. And then he wrote one time on Facebook, and I'm sure I've said this like a hundred times, but I just thought it was very telling because he came from the music industry. He's always been a drummer. He's always been in bands. And he wrote one day, man, I wish my musician friends would celebrate each other's successes as much as my jujitsu friends do. And I was like, man, that's it. You know, on the music, you got five guys in a band. You got the lead singer that's getting all the attention is probably doing the least amount of work. Everybody else is doing all the heavy lifting in the back. And there's just egos and you know, side things and insecurities and all this stuff that you, you deal with. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to carry your weight. Like you said, it could be the cool kids club. Whereas in jujitsu, I feel like, you know, I'm going down there and, you know, Jason Rouse, a blue belt. And then I come back six months later and he's tapping me out when, you know, I started years before him, but I know he's there two, three times a day, every day on the exercise ball, putting in the time. And you're like, man, that guy got really good because he put the time in. And like, I'm going to train with him more. I'm going to learn from him more. Like you're happy because you know that you can't hide the hard work you put in. And I, and I found that mm-hmm. the community seems to, at this point, be one of the only communities that I find across the board. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's dancing on there, but for the most part, people are pretty supportive of each other and they really go there. And, um, you know, not only do they celebrate your, your promotion or your fight or your this or your that, but okay, now, like, maybe you just got hired as a role as a stuntman for, like, a new Denzel Washington movie or something. Like, mm-hmm. they're happy for everything you do on and off the mat in a way that I have not seen in any other realm of life. So I, I think it's it's exactly like you're saying. And and I didn't know you had that experience there, but I watched your videos, and I thought one of the, the cool things, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you was I watched the videos you put out when you were at 10th Planet uh, Costa Mesa, and you have like all your guys like cheering and, and chanting like during your class yeah. with these videos. Yeah. I'm like, it was such a, a tribe and like that you could feel the energy of that class just through Instagram or just through the post that you put out there. So just the sense of community and tribe that you guys had there, I always see come from the top down, like the energy in, in Matt Sarah's Academy comes from Matt Sarah. And I see the same thing with you mm-hmm. and the way that you teach. So, you know, I, I'd like to think that some of the lessons that you learned from the guys in the stunt industry maybe taught you what not to do as a leader and you carry that over to you being a leader in uh, Costa Mesa. So I definitely wanted to hear a little bit about, um, first off, your any parallels and differences you see in the way that the community yeah, yeah. each other because it wasn't always like that. And that's that's another kind of whole other thing I wanted to talk about was how there used to be like Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and 10th Planet and you don't go train with it. Mm-hmm. Politics of Jiu-Jitsu, I've always heard stories of being there, but I've never experienced it. You know, with me, it's always been Matt Sarah's been mad. If that guy's a cool guy and he's good to you, you go out there, you train, and you let me know how it went. And I go back and I'm like, man, they were awesome. Is it good right. in your in my book? Right. There's, there really hasn't been a lot of that, like, you're not telling our secrets or you're no geese or you're a bad person. Like, it was almost like a racism. <laughs> like jujitsu, you know? right, 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 absolutely. No, there, that's definitely a whole other, a whole other topic to explore for sure. The, I mean, uh, 
we're we're definitely the the minority at Tenth Planet. I would say like we're we're we feel like a, a like a minority in a way. You want to talk about like jujitsu racism, but we'll we'll talk about that maybe at a later time. But it's funny, yeah, man, for sure. You know, there's a lot of things that I learned. I think just listening to you kind of kind of describe all of that for sure. I think that you know when we talk about this insecurity and stuff and, and these hierarchies, these, these faux hierarchies or these, these hierarchies that are based on, on whatever, you know, what I love about jujitsu is that the hierarchy is very kind of, I don't know if you would say like, like Darwinistic in a way, right? Like for the most part, anyways, at least we try to keep it that way, right? Like if you're a black belt or, or a brown belt or a purple belt, like, like if you're a blue belt, hopefully you can submit, you know, at least 50% of the white belts, 50% of the time, like hopefully something like that, right? And if you're a purple belt, same thing. Hopefully you can submit, you know, most of the blue belts and the white belts, you know, most of the time and so on and so forth, right? Our hierarchy is based on on, on like factual or or um, what's the word? Like a, 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 it's, it's a pragmatic approach, I guess, if you will. You know what I mean? Like where we value like practical, we're, we're, practical practicality over theory right like 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 you have to be able to to um to actually be what you claim to be right or else you're considered a fraud right the, we always see these flake, fake black belt exposed videos and so on and so forth um because because we value the 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 realness right like you you really have to be that you actually have to be good you know and and so i love that about jujitsu but unfortunately that doesn't translate into the real world right or into into other industries and so you have these hierarchies um that that don't necessarily reward the guy who is better the guy who is more um i don't know more talented the guy who is uh, more experienced the guy who you know what i mean like that doesn't necessarily work that way and it's very frustrating especially when you come from from um a jujitsu mindset right where you're rewarded for like you said you're, you're you're rewarded for your ability to to uh, ma- uh, to master things, right? That's really what it is. It's like if you can master something, it's not based on time necessarily. It's not based on on size. It's not based on all these kind of um, uh, other things. It's it's based on you. It's like how how quickly can you can you uh, pick these things up? Can you how how good is your short term memory? How good is your long term memory? How good is your uh, uh, um, ability to recognize patterns like all these things are important in jujitsu and you're rewarded for those things unfortunately in other industries it's not necessarily that way and and so what you find is what i find anyways is a lot of times people will try to kind of suppress your shine right especially if you're outshining them or they'll try to take credit for your shine and and put the spotlight on themselves or you see all these all this weird stuff and so anyways from those experiences, you know, I, I really kind of dislike that. And so I, I really try not to do that to my students. You know, I really, I really do my best to make sure that, that the spotlight is on them and not me. Does that make sense? Like, I don't need the spotlight. I, I'm, I'm the guy everyone's looking at every day. You know what I mean? And, and I think that, that I, I, the reason I value competition so much for myself is because it helps me develop my own self-worth. Does that make sense? Especially as a coach, I need to have my own self-worth as, as an individual, right? So that I'm not relying on my students' shine 
to to feel good about myself either you see a lot of that happen with coaches as well where they don't necessarily compete they haven't necessarily ever done anything and so then they rely on their students right they're, they're, they feel like their students uh, they want to take their students shine right and, and that can get funny as well you know I've heard of uh, many stories of that happening and and uh, uh, it can get funny so anyways I never want to do that to my people so any with my students it's always about them like how do I make them uh, uh, how, how do I make them the best version of themselves that they can be and, and not try to suppress them in any way? It doesn't matter if they're extremely athletic. It doesn't matter if they're extremely strong, if they're a lot larger. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll find that in jujitsu, this happens where coaches will sometimes suppress or, or hold their students back, um, you know, saying like, oh, you know, you're so strong or, oh, you know, you're, you're you're using so much strength or, oh, you know, you're just relying on athleticism or this and that. I always see those things as, as, as valuable, you know, and, and I get that they can kind of steal from other things at times, but it's just having those conversations, you know, sometimes I'd have like big, strong dudes in my class, you know, uh, big Jack bodybuilder type dudes or, or guys who play water polo, you know, or just really, really athletic dudes. And, and um, I would have conversations with them where I'd say, look, man, it's not that I don't want you to use your strength. It's not that I don't want you to lose, to use your, to, to not use your athleticism, but sometimes when we rely on our strength and our athleticism so much, we don't necessarily develop our timing. We don't necessarily um, develop our, our understanding of leverage. We don't necessarily develop our, our, our um, understanding of the technique self-positioning you know when when we use less strength we force ourselves to have to rely on th on these things more on leverage and so once we understand these concepts once we've mastered these concepts then we can reinfuse the strength then we can reinfuse the athleticism into it and um, then you're going to be that much better and so I would constantly have these conversations with them and uh, and and it works it works really well and and you know it's, it's funny because before I left Orange County we had a huge promotion day because uh, it's four schools like like you said there's I don't know, they got like six, 800 students or something in all the schools. So it's a big promotion day. And uh, I, I think I promoted like, I want to say I had like 10 blue belts or something that day. You know, I taught the fundamentals class. So I had a lot of beginners. And so I gave like 10 blue belts out that day. And uh, the, the owner uh, at the time, Casey Halstead, who owned the whole thing, he doesn't know them because he lives in Vegas. So he, he's there and you know, he's helping us, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, everybody's paying respect or whatever, you know, it's like, it's a promotion, you know how it is. And uh, I kept calling out all my blue belts, like, all right, you know, Alvaro come up or Ash come up or, and they kept coming up and they shake all the, all the black belts hands and get their, they get their belt and stuff. And, and the owner Casey goes, man, he goes, how come everybody from Costa Mesa is freaking huge and jacked, <laughs> you know? And, and it was, it was a great compliment because um, I had a lot of those guys because I feel like I made those guys I made those guys feel the way that that maybe how can I explain it man a lot of those guys have been turned down in other places or made feel unwelcome because they get good too fast in a way if if they're tapping the blue belts or if they're tapping the purple belts as as beginners a lot of times that that can make the room feel kind of funny and it makes instructors feel kind of funny and then it makes them feel funny and it, it gets really weird. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm, I'm explaining myself well, but it happens a lot. And so 
um, I, I never try to hold them back. If anything, I try to like guide them. I try not to like take away their, what they're good at, their athleticism or, or, or their, their strength or anything like that. I, I try to, to shape it in a way. And, um, it, it, it really, it really helps, man. It really helps, especially with that, with that, um, what is it with that, that kind of, uh, small group of people, right. The very athletic, very, very strong former bodybuilder types, you know, I had a lot of those guys and, and, uh, I got really good at, at, at kind of developing that, that style of, of athlete, I think, because I saw myself in them, you know, I, I saw myself in them. And so I never wanted to, to kind of like shut them down or, or shut their shine down. And so these guys excel very quickly. I, I, I think I'm, I've gotten really good at developing that type of athlete. Um, although the, the downside to that is I have been accused of running classes that are far too advanced for beginners. <laughs> so there is that, you know, and, and so, um, you know, there's good sides and bad sides to it, but, but, um, but yeah, man, I think that, that just having that trust people, if, if, if people can feel that you really want to help them and you really want to, if you really want them to improve and you really want them them to be the hero and not you be the hero they really respect that and then they respect you and then they trust you and so having that trust between me and my students really helps develop that that like you said that tribal bond they really they really see me as as the leader but they see me as a benign leader they see me as as like this this uh, old man who just wants to help them who has nothing in it for himself only wants you to succeed and i think that that that's a really beautiful thing, man. And and even though I'm a I'm a young dude or whatever, um, a lot of my students see me as like some sort of old kind of sensei. It's a it's a weird thing that happens, you know. But um, uh, yeah, man, that trust is super important. Just developing that trust between you and your students is is super important, man. And it comes from it comes from a good place, man. It has to be this legitimate good uh, uh, desire to help other people win you know, to, to, to make it about them. It's about them, you know, and, and I, I really do think that I'm in the service industry, you know, I, I'm there to serve. I'm not there to be served. I'm not there to, to have my students bow to me and kiss my ring and, and this and that. No, it's actually the opposite, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm there to serve them. You know, they pay me. I'm, I'm at their service. I'm, I'm a waiter essentially. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, what's crazy. And I think that a lot of jujitsu instructors don't understand that a lot of black belts don't understand that, you know, they, they get caught up in the power they get caught up in the in the respect and the and then this and that and, and they forget that that we're actually in the service industry. Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's definitely a fine line between, you know, I've talked about this a, a few different times, but I've I've been to gyms that were fighter gyms and then I've been to gyms that were only made for the business, like the soccer mom gyms, and then I've been to the mix. And I like the ones that the, you know, like I've seen like Ray Longo's great at it, Matt Sarah's great at it. Like I see it in you too that you know how to handle people in that way that I think that there's that fine line that you do have to have that sense of discipline because it is a martial art with their, you know, I've been fortunate enough to not be around guys that they don't, I don't respect them because they're telling me to respect them. I respect them not because of the color of their belt, but because of the way that they handle themselves in general. And it makes you want to listen to them. It makes you want to be like that. And, you know, I feel like the, the really good martial artists, the really good black belts, the really like bad dudes, got great mentors, don't have to sit there and tell you to respect me, respect me, respect me. They earn your respect without having to say a word by by 
you know, carrying what a black belt should be and what a true mentor and a leader should be. And I think that's what it comes from. Like Matt Sarah is never going to have to tell me to disrespect him. Like I came in off of the street and you easily could have been like, you're trained where you're who you're what. And like, you didn't ask anything. You were like, you want to train jujitsu? You want to learn from me? You want to meet me? I'll meet you that mm -hmm. time. And it was great. And I kept coming back because I felt like you knew how yep. to call me out on the stuff I was doing wrong or shouldn't have been doing. Um, compliment me on the things I was doing well. And, and you, I saw you adjust the way that you taught me after a couple of things. You were you were very tentative and um, aware of the way I learned and the things that and like, I think that you have a lot of wisdom for a young age as a mentor to be able to talk to students in a way that they'll listen. Because again, the it's not easy. I tell people all the time that a lot of guys that can kick my ass can't tell me or teach me how they do it or the way that they're going to explain it to me. It's, I'll never listen to that. So. I think that you definitely have a knack for that. And, uh, you know, the old soul thing, I think, is, is a really good thing, too, because, like you said, some of the, the philosophical parts of jiu-jitsu that you've taught me, I was like, wow, that was actually more valuable than you physically showing me. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, you know, going back to that there, yeah, there definitely shouldn't be, like, I don't want to go into a gym and listen to a guy tell me, like, you know, how great he is and that he's never even fought or competed and all that stuff, but at the same time, I do see a difference now in some of the gyms since it's become a lot. I mean, jujitsu just become so much more popular and mm -hmm. MMA as a whole. But you'll see, like, I'll go into jujitsu school sometimes, and the black belt will be teaching the class, and like a white belt will pull another white belt over and go have like a side class on their own or talk or like be doing their own move. And I'm like, that stuff shouldn't be happening. Like, I still think that just for the discipline of, if nothing else scrubbing that out as a, you know, like we call it in real estate, a public beheading, the tenant who's not paying, you evict them in front of everybody. So people go, oh shit, like uh, this person means business. And, you know, in the old, in the old days, makes me sound low, but I remember like gyms had hitmen and the guy that would come in and really like disrespect the class or disrespect the sensei, he would get like tapped out or put out cold in front of everybody. And then he had to make that decision of like, are you going to respect the process here in the gym and your teammates and your coaches and, or you're going to go do something else. And that they had to make that decision of this is for me or this isn't for me. And, you know, so there probably is that fine line as a teacher of knowing when to actually discipline somebody because they're really being disrespectful and that could bleed out into the rest of the class and when to kind of let them go and experiment and find themselves. And I am impressed that you have that, and, you know, not to ramble too much, but you, you, one of the things I was most impressed with was I came in one day, you know, back to the old soul thing, but, I was asking about moves or something and you were like, forget all that for a minute, like sit out. And I was like, oh, what is this going to be? Like, I didn't know what to expect. And then you gave me this whole like, philosophical speech. I'm like, well, let, let's go back to the fundamentals of like, what, what even is the guard? And like, what's the point of the guard? Oh yeah. And, then, and you made <laughs> yeah. me think and question things. And, and I think that that was really cool because you said sometimes you teach too technical or go too advanced for the white belts. But you literally took me, and I think I had maybe just got my black belt, or I was a, like a, a brown belt for a while. And you yeah, you were you were a, you were a brown belt. I think that that for that lesson, I think because yeah, we did some sessions where you were a brown belt, and then towards the end, we did sessions where you were already a black belt. You know, but I, I'm I'm having trouble remembering which one it was. But yeah, you either way, even if you were a brown belt, you were like on the verge. You were on that tipping point of getting your black belt. You know what I mean? So yeah, you were. You, I think you might have been a black belt. I'm not. I'm not sure. You broke it all. The, you literally brought me back to white belt, though. You were like, 
come all the way back, go all the way back to the beginning, and let's let's remember like what we were even doing. And every single day that yeah. I now, I remember that, and I was like, man, that's a good teacher. Like, you know, I remember the first time Matt Sarah showed me an armbar. I remember the way he taught me that forever. And that discussion you gave me was something, and that's what I love about jujitsu is you can always learn. And to have you kind of give me that mental black belt lesson of like, this is why you need to do these things. And it yeah. literally changed the way I, I rolled forever after that. So right. I, it was amazing. And I don't get that. And, and it, it was crazy, man. I mean, now, now that you're telling me that I remember, and it was crazy because I feel like you say that it changed the way you rolled forever, but I, I was a witness of that. You know, the, the next times that you came and we rolled, your guard was so much harder to pass because you understood you understood the guard in a different way to the point where I was like, man, like it's almost one of those things where it's just like, damn, like I gave him the key. Now, now I can't even get in. You know what I mean? Like so I was like, dang, like, and it's like that, man. And I love, I love impacting people's jujitsu that way. You know what I mean? Like I want to leave as a coach, I want to leave a, a mark on your jujitsu career, but that is for you that you that you can remember that coach like you said you can remember the Matt Sarah's from your life you can remember you know for me my coaches you know the, the things that they say and they stick with you forever and they change the way you perceive jujitsu and sometimes even life forever you know what I mean like a lot of times the, the philosophy will translate and it, and it changes you man and I think that that's the most powerful way of teaching and I think I always strive to 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 teach that way although it doesn't really happen but how, how cool is it? And, and I always think it's the coolest thing, man, when you can teach people jujitsu without teaching them a technique. And I think that was one of those lessons. That was one of our private sessions where I didn't actually teach you anything. Like I didn't actually go, hey, you know, step one, you're going to go ahead and underhook the legs. Step two, you're going to go ahead and grab your hands together. Step three, you're going to stack. Like there was no steps. There was no like technical aspect to it where it was just like, let's just take all the knowledge that you already have that you've acquired over the last decade or so, you know, training. And, and let, let's, let's just go ahead and reevaluate how we use these tools. And, and let's, just, let's just think about how we use them, why we use them. And, and I think that all I did was I took your toolbox and I was just like, what if you rearranged it in a different way and you saw these tools like this or whatever, and then you went in and mentally rearranged your toolbox. So you were just like, yeah, I guess I never thought about that. And then all of a sudden your toolbox is more organized and your toolbox is that, and you're much more effective now as a, as a, as a, whatever, you know what I mean? As a person who uses these tools, you know? And so I think that that's really cool. And I, and I, and I, and I try to teach like that as much as I can, you know, I, I really try to, to, to change the way that people perceive um, jujitsu as a, as a whole, because it's really interesting, man, I, I, you know, teaching the fundamentals class, you know, when you, when, when, a, when a beginner, their first role ever, they've never, they never wrestled with their brothers or sisters uh, growing up or cousins or anything. And, and you see them shake hands with somebody and they go, Hey, uh, I'm new, by the way, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, uh, I don't really understand what the goal is here, what the game is. And they go, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to submit you and, and you try to submit me, you know, and you're going to try to get around my legs or whatever. And then you see them get in there and they, they're like smiling a lot of times and giggling, like they don't really know what they're doing. And then they get swept and then they're on their back and they're smiling, you know, and they're just like, whoa, like that's crazy. And you see that. But what I realized from, from watching those white belts is that a lot of times people can go their entire jujitsu careers without 
truly understanding what the game is. They just learn, they, they, they learn to memorize patterns and they learn to memorize sequences or, or techniques or submissions, but they don't really understand the goal, you know? And, and so it's a really weird thing. And, and we see this a lot in 10th Planet specifically because, you know, 10th Planet, they, they primarily focus on, or we primarily focus on, on submission only. And so this idea of points um, kind of goes out the window a lot of times. And the problem when you throw points out of the window is that you lose a sense of what a dominant position looks like. What does a dominant position look like? And why is it dominant? You know, why are we rewarded points for mount? Why are we rewarded points for passing the guard? Why are we rewarded for these things? And so when there are no points, when you don't teach people these things, when um, a lot of times they don't understand the value of it. And, and if you also, if you've never been in a fight, you might not understand the value of mount. Does that make sense? Like, until you've had somebody in mount throwing punches at you or dropping elbows on you, you might not understand how dangerous it is to be in that position. And so it's a weird thing, man. It's a weird thing that happens. And so what I realized is that a lot of people will go their entire career and not fully understand these things. And, uh, and, and one of those is, is, is that lesson of, of, um, of, of a guard. What is the purpose of a guard? What is the primary purpose of a guard, a secondary purpose of a guard, you know, and, 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 and these things are really important, man. And, and, and people forget, in jiu-jitsu, we're taught to close the distance, right? Everything we do requires us to close the distance. But we for, oftentimes we get so sucked that game of jiu-jitsu that we forget what the value of distance management is when we're on the defensive side of things. And so it's really interesting, man. As simple as it sounds, you know, as simple as it sounds. And, and jiu-jitsu instructors might might hear me talking or whatever, and they might be like, well, yeah, of course we teach our students distance management or, or maintaining distance. But it, it, it's it's interesting, man. It's a, it's an interesting thing for sure, you know, and, and – uh, uh that that is my favorite way of teaching man like i said i, I try to i try to impact uh, my students in that way uh, the most the, the more more often than than trying to teach them just to do what i tell them just do what i say and do it this way and memorize the steps i i try to really make them understand why why are we doing this i think the why is so much more important than the how you know here's how you do it and i think so many instructors just teach you the how but they don't teach you the why. And so the why often sounds like a philosophical conversation. And a lot of times it does. It requires stories. It requires uh, experiences. Well, you know, guys, you know, this one time, you know, I'm going to teach you guys how to do this armbar. And I know that a lot of you guys have learned it this way, but I'm going to teach it to you guys this way. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to teach you guys this way. Because there was this one time where I was at this tournament and I was uh, down by, or, uh, you know, I was down by points or whatever. And then you tell them the story and you go, and, you know, I was trying to finish the guy and then he got away. And so I know a lot of you guys have been taught to do an armbar this way, but based on that experience, because that guy got away, now I do armbars this way. And I want you guys to learn it this way, because um, based on that experience, I know that this is far more valuable. And so, you know, a lot of times it takes conversations like that. And uh, uh, I think that's a much more powerful way of teaching men, you know, no, I but agree. it does require. It does require a lot more talking. And so I have also been accused of talking a lot. <laughs> no, but you know, you're, uh, I, again, the reason I like to, to talk to people from all different aspects, obviously I'm partial jujitsu, but you know, business owners that are mentors, they have the same conversations. Like sometimes uh, like the real estate coaches, I was a real estate coach and you go over things and you explain something that you think is so basic. And then you go to walk away and you realize that the person's like, I have no idea what you just said. And you're like, oh man, like, right. 
I forgot that you don't even know these basic, like, like I'm just so used to doing it every day. And then I almost forgot why it just become like, I forgot when I first started that I used to like have mat burn from doing like shots down the mat when we first start, you know, all these things that you just forget used to happen when you started. So I love that when you're teaching beginners, it makes you remember, Oh yeah, no, this, then this is the beginning. And, and almost like little kids, but, but dad, why do I do that? Why do I do that? Well, you do it because of this and you don't do it. And I feel like that helps you be a better competitor and a better teacher because it makes you go back and think about things. And there's times that I get caught off guard, you know, any business owners listening to this that have clients or, or employees or staff, you know, being able to constantly go back to people who are not only it's their first day, but they've been in for a year or two years and let them ask those questions so you can go back and think because it could either make you remember a way to explain things better so you can go teach it and that can help you with other people or maybe they make you think about something you can do it better and like one of the things that's cool the the gym uh Damian Maya BJJ Lab Naperville out here in Chicago with um Mark Turner and this guy Brad Johns Brad's like dude when we do open mat I make everybody at open mat show a move even if they're a white belt he goes and sometimes the white belt shows something and I go well shit that was actually pretty cool like I never saw that or I didn't think about that or he made me think about it a different way so mm-hmm. I like that uh you know teaching the fundamentals and the basics has probably helped you as a as a fighter and a competitor and and a teacher to go back and think about why you're doing things and, and explain things and I don't know just that whole thing I think is is good no matter what it is whether it's jujitsu or business or life or kids or anything I think that that's a really big thing to remember and be because I said so Nobody learns from that. Nobody's going to respect that answer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it, man. You just nailed it. You just nailed it. You just nailed it, man, because that's exactly what what I disliked, you know, and, and I continue to dislike, you know, I, not to get into this this subject, but, um, you know, I, I grew up in a very religious household and there was a lot of that just do what I say, just do it because that's the way it's always been done. Just, just do it. And, and I think that I rebelled against that early on. And, and I, and I love jujitsu because every, like I said, it was, it was, it was very like, you could test everything and you could, it didn't matter if your instructor said this or that or, or whatever, Um, you could test everything and see if it was true and see if it was real. And so I really value that, man. And that's exactly what it is. It's like, it's like why like i said the the why is so much more important than 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 the how or or just telling somebody do it like this and it's like well why why do we do it like that and i think i grew up listening to you talk about that i realized that i'm like oh this goes back a lot further it goes back a lot further than stunts it goes back it goes back to my childhood of of the why i always asked why and and uh and and to this day i still i still ask why 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 do we do this why do we do that you know and and i question everything you know and and uh um yeah man i think that's exactly and and it's so important like you said you know now that i have a daughter you know and i think about the conversations that i have with her and stuff and and uh honestly my biggest fear with her is that she'll get tired of listening to me talk and just uh (laughs) um, you know uh start start uh you know kind of zoning out not not listening to me just kind of nodding her head, you know? And so that's one thing that I think I'm, I, I'm afraid of. And I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta somehow figure out a way to not talk so much so that she'll continue to listen to me, you know, or, or, or uh, kind of get it. But, but I, I always, there's so much value in explaining to people why not to do things, you 
know? And, and it's funny because even as young as she is, man, like she's a year and a half and she's, she's just starting to communicate with us. Right. She's using basic words. And, um, the other day she was pushing a drawer shut. Right. And so she was pu putting her fingers in the drawer and you know, if she pushes it, she's going to catch your fingers in the drawer. Right. And so I, I took her hands and I placed them on the drawer and I go, be careful because if you push it, you're going to smash your fingers. And I moved it slowly so that she would feel the pressure. And she pulled her hands out and she looked at me with her eyebrows furrowed and she went, and she knew. And even though I couldn't, I couldn't verbally communicate with her. I felt like in that moment, I explained to her why not to put her fingers there. And she understood. You see what I mean? And so the why is so much more important and so much more valuable than the no, don't do that. Like, no, stop. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't, they don't respond that way unless they understand why not to put their fingers there. And I felt like it was a really cool moment because like I was able to communicate with her non-verbally and she was able to understand what I was trying to convey to her that you're going to get hurt if you put your fingers there. And so, and so again, it's just, it's just finding a way to teach people um, in any way. Like, it doesn't matter how, how it's like, I have to be able to convey what I'm trying to tell you. Um, however, I, I can do that. You know what I mean? And, and with her, I had to do it that way. I had to literally place her hands in there and push them slowly and let her feel that pressure so that she would understand it. And that's exactly what it brings us back to what you, what you said earlier, where it's just like, you have to find a way, you have to figure out how people learn and speak to them in that language you know what i mean like you have to find everybody's language we all speak different languages even if we speak the same language you know what i mean and, and i think that is really valuable and i think that's like you said it, it's 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 the way we have to teach everything we teach you know yeah and, and I, I think that that's again where like you said the respect is earned i think when somebody is struggling with somebody like it it goes such a long way like i i can remember times that I'm having trouble passing a guard or I'm having trouble with a real estate deal or trouble with a girl, something, anything. And like somebody goes out of their way to take the time and you're not getting it, but they, they go, all right. Like, and they can see, and they go, let me find a different way. Like put your fingers here and let me close the drawer or something like that. To, to me, that's always been something that helped me earn respect of somebody else. Like, man, this person really took the time to care about making sure that I understood this. And, and now that I see it, I see it for my benefit. Like that's, I think a really good thing. And so what you did with your daughter, I think that those kind of things where, you know, the old school way of pairing that we probably had, you know, I like old school Italian parents in New York. And because of this, well, they're saying that because they just, they don't want to deal with me or they don't want me to go out or whatever, whatever. But then by showing them, it allows you to see like, okay, my sensei, my mentor, you know, Ray Longo, my mom, my dad, like, they're showing me that I would have gotten hurt. And now it makes you realize that when they're giving you advice, it's to protect you. It's because they actually have your best interest, not because they're just trying to say, kiss the ring. You know, it all, it all comes full circle back to what you're saying. And I feel like that's where true respect comes from because now, you know, the guys like you, the guys like Matt Sarah, my parents, the, the people that I know really have my back and are looking to help me and are really listening and trying to communicate with me. I'm not going to disrespect them out of just the sake of it. It's, you know, you don't want to disappoint them. You want to return that favor and show them that respect that they give you the same way. So I don't know, like the exact angle. Absolutely, I was, man. You know, I think that's so cool. And I actually, I, I quote you a lot because um, when you first had the baby, you came down and uh, you you made a reference that I just thought was amazing that you were like, <laughs> oh yeah, like an iPhone. He's like, you know how you shut it down 
and then it restarts and it updates with new features. Like every day when she shuts down, she wakes up and like now she can wave or now she's paying attention to this. And, you know, I think about that with, with my business friends. So like people that listen to this that are in real estate, sometimes you're like, you're in the middle of a deal, you're trying to raise capital, your business is doing something crazy because of COVID and you're so close to it and you're so focused on it. You're like, I can't figure it out. I'm like, it seems counterproductive to go, the best thing I'm going to do is just back off, go take a nap, shut my brain off. And like, that's a lot where I'm freaking out. And the last thing I feel like I think I have the time to do is go take an hour and go to jujitsu. But I know like the more I feel like I shouldn't do that, I have to. So like now I have to go out and sprint or whatever, but sometimes by like having that mental reset that all of a sudden I can't be thinking about my real estate problem for an hour because the second I'm not present in that hour of jujitsu, I'm getting my back taken, my arm taken, my neck choked. Mm -hmm. And then you come back and I feel like you're recharged. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, why didn't I see this before? I have the answer. And like that recalculation, I feel like everybody has. So my question for you would be, being that jujitsu is your full-time thing, as a full-time jujitsu instructor, what do you do to like reset from jujitsu? Yeah, man. So, so I, I read a lot, man. I read, I read a lot, you know, I feel like, I feel like that's my, that's my way of shutting that part out. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird, but like, yeah, I need to shut because like you said, jujitsu is my full-time job. And I'm always thinking about jujitsu. I'm always thinking about teaching jujitsu. I'm thinking about techniques. I'm thinking about, you know, the business aspect. I'm thinking about jujitsu 24 seven. And so, yeah, it's important for me to shut that down. You know, I know that a lot of people use jujitsu to shut down the other parts of their life. Right. But for me, I have to, I have to do other things to shut the jujitsu part of my life down. And so uh, I read, man, I, I read a lot. You know, I like to read. I like to, I like to learn other things. You know, I like, again, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of why, man. And so, so unfortunately, a lot of times it leads me down some, some rabbit holes of conspiracies and, and all that, you know, because I'm trying to understand why, 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 you know what I mean? Like, why is this happening? Why, you know, even right now with the coronavirus thing, I'm like, why, you know, why this, why that, you know, and I'm, I, I, a lot of times, you know, you can drive yourself crazy thinking about that stuff, you know? <laughs> Eddie Bravo will be proud of you right now. I mean, honestly, it's his, a lot of it has to do with him, man. I mean, you know, Eddie, Eddie is that guy. Eddie, Eddie also is another guy who always wants to, wants to know more, you know, wants to know the truth. What's the real, what's the real deal, you know? And so he definitely encourages that both in your jujitsu and, and, and in your life, you know, he's always telling us, you know, to, to question things and this and that. So he, he definitely has some influence there on me, you know, but, but I think I was already like that. And I think that's why I was attracted to, to that aspect of 10th planet jujitsu, you know, more, more so it's interesting because a lot of guys are attracted to 10th planet jujitsu because of the, of the uh, weed thing. You know what I mean? Like that's usually, they go, Oh, those guys smoke weed. That's, those are my people right there. Then, you know what I mean? And they, they come in, but for me, it was more that now that I think about it, for me, what attracted me to jujitsu was the idea of like, like the, the questioning everything. Let's question, let's question everything. Let's question even how we do things in jujitsu, even how we, why we do arm bars this way or that way, you know, and, and we do things differently, you know, and, and uh, yeah, man, it's, it's real. I mean, you know, you train with me, so, you know, we, we do things, we think about things a little differently and, and some of it is good and some of it might not be so good, but, but I think that, that that's what I love, man, is, is having, having our own, being able to have our own opinion of things, you know, because, 
Um, you know, a lot of my students are former students from other places. And sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I wasn't allowed to ask questions or do things in different ways. I was just told to do things the way, exactly the way that I was told. And so it becomes, it can become very, uh, very kind of, you know, I think like you said, there's a fine line, right? Where, where we don't want to be too militant and too like do it exactly this way. And we don't want to be so loose that we lose respect, that we lose, you know, um, all these other things. And so you, there's definitely that fine line, you know, and, and I'm still trying to figure it out for myself, man. I'm still trying to figure it out for my students, but um, yeah, man, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fun, man. It's fun trying to find that. The tightrope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man. So you, you literally just talked about the exact thing I was going to ask you about, because I wanted to hear how you went from training with Tate to finding 10th Planet, because, you know, 10th Planet is a little bit of, of, uh, of its, its own, its own thing. It's kind of got its own tribe, but you know, I, I like it. I like it all. I like jujitsu, but the same way you're saying that you question things and ask things why that's exactly what Eddie Bravo did. And, asking those questions causes people to think. And that's where I think, you know, a renaissance of things happen is, is by questioning the answers and by figuring out how to reinvent stuff and by allowing people to ask you why you're doing stuff allows things to be reinvented, things to be expanded, things to be, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where the greatest things come from is people questioning things. So I know initially it was thought of as like a slap in the face, you know, but you know, a guy like Eddie Bravo, who I was looking at some pictures today of you actually, you know, you got your black belt directly under him, which is freaking awesome. I know Matt likes Eddie a lot. Um, but I think that without the Eddie Bravos and the Ruben Rivera's of the world that are asking why, there's all these things that wouldn't be there, like freaking, you know, the, the 10th Planet stuff or Netflix or, you know, I just talked to the astronaut. She said that they literally are able to do like video conferencing with their loved ones on the moon. Like somebody questions something to figure out how to do something better. And it doesn't always work, but that that's life. That's business. And, you know, so you can look at it and go, well, I tried these things a little bit differently and, and they didn't work. So I'm going to quit Or You figure out a way to, to keep reinventing it. And I do like now that I'm coming up, especially for me who travels around a lot, it's been very nice to be able to train with all of these different styles and all of these different people and soak in like the bits of knowledge from all of them. And I do appreciate the sense of community that I haven't really had to deal with any of the politics of that, but what attracted you to um, 10th Planet? Because I'll tell you, like for me, I'm always telling people, oh, this is what I learned, this is what I got. I just, I, you know, you see, I post stuff after I leave, oh, I just had a great private with Ruben. And I've never had anybody be like, well, what the fuck are you doing training with the, like, you know, it's just, it's not that kind of community anymore that like for the people that I'm around and I'm sure there's haters for things everywhere, but for the most part, I try and surround myself with people that are just happy to see me out there doing good. And I, I do it to try and inspire people to say like, you know, cause I, I always get the person who goes, Oh, that's cool, man. You got up and went and did jujitsu at 6am in California. Hey, I mean, I, I don't like to get up that early. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Neither do I, but you don't get your black belt by sitting on the couch. You know what I mean? Like you have 24 hours in the day, you get up, you go after it and you, you, you make shit happen. And that's just what I try and try and do. So, um, you know, long, long question to that, but what, what was it that attracted yeah, yeah. out there to that? Because obviously you, you found your home there. I mean, you definitely, you definitely have your people there and, you know, watching the way you teach and now you're going to go start your own one. So I definitely wanted to hear what attracted you to 10th planet coming from a different jujitsu place. And 
I want to hear a little bit about some um, some of the stuff on the business side that you're starting to find now from, you know, being a gym owner and dealing with some of the nonsense and some of the stuff we were talking about that are yeah. affecting it with COVID. Because sometimes when you make it a business and not a hobby, you learn all these new things that you weren't thinking about before. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, man. So, so I think, you know, my, my instructor, Tate Fletcher, he was a purple belt in the gi when he started doing 10th planet. And so he ended up getting a black belt in the gi and then ended up getting a black belt from Eddie Bravo as well. So in no gi, you know, two different styles. But the point of that is that I trained both, you know, when I first started doing jujitsu back, you know, back when 12 years ago or almost years ago, um, I was doing both. We would do uh, jujitsu in the gi and then we would do MMA um, no gi, right? Because that's what we were training for. And so you would end up doing, we would end up doing both. We would end up doing gi and no gi. And then it got to the point where it was like, well, if we want to be fighters, if we're doing MMA, why are we training in the gi at all? Like, because when a fight is coming up, you, you want to, you want to train the way that you're going to compete. Right. And so what we'd find is we'd find we'd take off our geese for the entirety of, of the camp, whether it was like two months or three months or whatever. And we found that when we would throw on the gi, it was because we wanted to train in the gi for fun. But we understood it as not necessarily being valuable towards our immediate goal of, of the MMA fight. And so it was one of those things where we where we started, where I started and, and, and we started questioning, like, well, why do we train in the gi at all? Does it actually make us better? And does it actually make us better when we're fighting? If we're, if we're training our minds to, when we're training in the gi, we're training our minds to look for collar grips. We're training our minds to look for, for lapel, uh, for lapel grips, for sleeve grips, for pant grips, you know? And, and so um, a lot of times you would find yourself reaching for things that weren't there, even if it was just for a split second. Does that make sense? Like a guy trying to pass your garden and you like reach for his, his lapel or whatever. And you're just like, Oh, shit there's no lapel you know what i mean but you had you had put so many reps into defending something or doing something some way but then when it wasn't there you were just like dang you know or you put somebody in an arm bar you put somebody in an arm bar and then they just they yank arm out so easily and then you're like oh shit this guy's sweaty and he's not wearing any clothes there's zero friction like you know what i mean like i'm gonna have to be way tighter than that if i'm to hold on to this arm and so you start to learn these these very simple lessons about the difference between gi and no gi and so we started uh we just started questioning what the value was and at first you know we were like well let's do half and half you know half no gi half gi and then uh we were considering becoming an official 10th planet affiliate at the time and uh, we just we we just had a meeting and we were just like, well, we're we gonna do this or like, because if we do it, you know, we we can't we can't really like we can't really become a tenth planet affiliate if we're gonna be teaching gi classes because you know Eddie's gonna feel kind of weird about that and you know like it was just this weird thing. It's not that Eddie doesn't like the gear or whatever. It's that I think that back then Eddie wanted to see loyalty from the guys. You know what I mean? Like he was just like he didn't want to see like guys who were just kind of like half and half like well you know this or that like he wanted to be like all right if you if you want to be an affiliate like we want you to be all about 10 feet we want you to be all about 10 planet be all about no gi you know and and so we we just made the decision as a group we just the guys at the time 
my, my instructor and I was assisting with classes and a couple other assistant instructors, we had a meeting and we we're just like, let's do it. Like, let's see what happens, you know? And, and so we became fully Nogi and, and we became a 100% 10 planet affiliate. And, uh, and I dropped the gi, man. I dropped the gi when I was a purple belt. I got to a purple belt in the gi. And then after that, I dropped it and uh, I got a brown belt um, no gi and I got a black belt no gi, you know, but, but uh, um, yeah, man, uh, it was like that. It was like that. And so when you say what attracted me to 10 Planet, I think that it was, it was the, the, just the practicality, I guess, of, of, of training MMA. Like if MMA was the goal, you needed to train no gi. And here was a system that was um, designed based on the idea of no gi. You know, I know, I know a lot of people, I know Eddie says that it's based on, on MMA or, or, or it's, it's functionality for MMA, but uh, not that it isn't, but, but I would say for me, it was more just, this is a, a no gi system and we're doing no gi so much. We may as well just focus on developing a, a, a full no gi system. And um I found a lot of success, man, especially early on, you know, I found a lot of success competing in Nogi, you know, I, I just found that a lot of, a lot of guys, especially back then couldn't, uh, didn't understand what we were doing. You know, they, they were so used to training in the Gi that, that they, they almost found themselves being in a different world in, in, in Nogi. And, and you still hear stuff like that. You know, I still hear guys in Nogi go, man, I never compete. I mean, Gi go, I never compete in Nogi because it's just crazy. This is way too slippery, way too fast, way too wild. Like it's just not fun for me. I, they go, I like the the technical aspect of of the gi, and so I understand that. I understand the the difference in the games, but I think a lot of people just uh, don't like no gi because because it is. It's a different game. I think that a lot of us have this perception that it's the same game, and it is because it's all jujitsu, it's all grappling, but it, it's very much like the difference between I don't know playing. Uh, monopoly and playing the game of life or something like they're both board games but they're different games and you have to play them a different way it, like the rules are different and everything like like and and i don't mean like the the rule set of the tournament or the thing but it's just the the, the rules by which you play are different i don't know if that makes yeah. sense nice. so anyways yeah man that, that's kind of that's kind of uh how how i ended up uh going completely no gi man and and uh yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I I just never went back. Like I threw on the gi a couple of times just for fun with my friends and stuff, but but I just I, I just love the freedom of uh that no gi gives you, you know. I, I for me anyways, you know, and, and uh um not not bashing on the gi at all, you know, in any kind of way. I, I understand that that it's a it's it's just it's just different, man. It's just a different game. But for me, um I just I just enjoy uh no gi better. I do enjoy the 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 well, what people describe as the chaos or the, or the speed, you know, I, I enjoy that, man. I, I like it, you know. Me too, dude. I, I love Nogi. And the, um, you know, some of my favorite moves, it's, I remember I came over that. I love the lockdown. I remember you're like, why do you even do this? And uh, yeah. dude, I had a great time. Uh, I trained with Wes and then I had a couple of sessions with John. Yeah, Cho. yeah. A lot on that man. And John Cho helped me out a lot there. We had a lot of really good talks and we had a really good time. So that, that was really cool. Um, but I remember like thinking even people that are, go, well, I don't, I don't like that stuff, or I don't want to do like no gear. I don't want to do the 10th planet moves. At the end of the day, it's, it's become such a dominant thing that you can almost not go anywhere in the country, almost like the, actually the world now, and not have like a 10th planet affiliate in your neighborhood. I mean, they're everywhere mm -hmm. now. So like it or not, if you want to be a fighter or you want to be a jujitsu fighter, you have to at least acknowledge it because 
I remember specifically the, the first time I ever heard of him, Eddie Bravo was on the Joe Rogan podcast and Joe Rogan was like, the guy literally invented his own moves. He's like, so you better learn them because if you wind up having to fight against the 10 planet guy and you've never been in one of those moves before and you don't know what it is or what they're doing, you are fucked. And I remember like the first time I, I came down to Costa Mesa and I got like pulled rubber guard and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how. And then like you do things that you think are the proper things. And then you realize that they baited you to do that. And now you're in a, and I'm like, ah, so like it forces you that like, if you want to, you know, I just, I like to learn. I like to explore. So like you said, like everybody levels up the same way you make your white belts better. And then they become better blue belts and make the purple belts better. And that goes up the line. I feel like, like 10th planet's way of doing jujitsu makes everybody forced to be better at jujitsu. You know, like you don't like it, you invent something to now trump that. And that, that's what I really like is, you know, I, I like boxing. It's what I grew up doing initially, but you know, jab, cross, hook, uppercut, whatever, you, you get your timing done, but people aren't inventing new boxing every week. We're literally, I'll go to a jujitsu gym and I'll, I'll see a move I've never seen, or I'll hear somebody teach a move that I've seen a thousand times, but there's something they'll do or say just that much different that I'm like, man, he just showed a basic armbar or a basic mount escape, but I caught something I can do better in that. And I just think that it gets me so excited. No, really, like the sky's the limit. Absolutely, man. It's pretty cool stuff. So um, another thing you were saying about the the fundamentals of it, of, of just the basic things you have to do every day, the wax on, wax off. Like I remember for years, we'd start off class every day just by shrimping up and down the mats. And I remember being like, man, I'm, I'm bored of this. And then the first time, not the first time, but one time I was sparring, was this guy, Joey Dybul, kickboxer. And he got on top of me, just freaking started hammering me. And without thinking, it was like, elbow escape, elbow escape. And then I pulled him down and I put him in like a neutral position and I pulled him back into guard. And I, I didn't even think about it. And I was like, I've never been so happy that they made me do that 20,000 times. Because now that I'm <laughs> in situation, I realized how important that was. Like that just saved my ass. I would have caught my fingers in the draw, like with your daughter, man. Right. So wax, wax right. off, oh, you made me paint the fence. So that stuff's just all cool. So I won't, I won't take up your whole day, but now, um, so talk about 10th Planet Dallas. So you, uh, right before the COVID stuff happened, you, unfortunately, all my favorite California guys keep leaving to go open gyms in other places. And you were like, man, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to Dallas. I'm going to open up a 10th Planet there, which, um, I think it's awesome. Again, you're, you're one of the better instructors I've come across. Um, great with, with you, the way you say things. You're great to roll. You've always been really accommodating, meeting me in the mornings and stuff. So I definitely am happy for you over there. So talk about now being a business owner and uh, going out there and, and what your plans are post-COVID for Dallas 10th Planet and how people can find you, come train with you, and uh, learn from one of the best black belts at 10th Planet around. Hey, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, so, so yeah, man, you know, I, I had been – I had been working for other people or teaching for other, for other people for, I don't know, man, almost 10 years, I think. And so I liked it that way. I liked it that way because I got to compete. I got to focus on, on me and I didn't have to worry about the business side of things. And so um, that was kind of like the, the, you know, the, the, that was the price that I paid, right? Not having my own place, being able to compete, you know, having that freedom, not having to worry about the business side of things. And I really enjoyed that, man. I really enjoyed that for, for, for as long as I did. But once I had my baby, everything changed, right? All, all my priorities, everything changed. 
and I started thinking about the business and I was like, okay, well, you know, uh, my family, the future of my family, I started thinking about these things. And so I was like, well, I think it's time, you know, and, and I always knew in the back of my mind that I was preparing for this. I was preparing, I was learning the business. I was learning how to build a, a culture, how to build a tribe, how to do all of these things, you know, how to, how to do the, the, the business side of things, the back end side of things too. And so um, when the time came, I felt ready. You know, I felt ready. I, I didn't feel like I was a, I, like, I don't, I still don't feel like I'm a beginner you know, necessarily at business or running a business, you know, I, I got to essentially manage 10 planet Costa Mesa in, um, in Orange County, which is considered, uh, you know, a, a champion gym per se, you know, um, they've done, they've done studies where they've, where they've researched the size, the average size of gyms, um, all across the country. And so, uh, Costa Mesa fell into the category of you know some of the larger gyms in the country, uh, and and so um, that was really cool. That experience was really cool because I got to see okay, what is it like to run um, a larger gym? You know what I mean, not just a, a small gym. Because in Santa Fe, I actually ran a gym here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, for a long time, and this was a small gym. You know, it, it was uh, it was always small. We didn't have a lot of numbers. And uh, so it was cool for me to go to California and run a big one. You know, what, what's it like to run a big gym? And so that gave me the confidence to move into a market like Dallas, you know, uh, in, in the whole DFW kind of area, there's 8 million people. So it's just, it's absolutely, it's just huge over there, you know? And so I thought, well, it'd be cool to have a gym and, and have it be a, if I'm going to do it, I want it to be a big one. You know what I mean? I feel like I can do it. I feel like I have the tools to do it. And so I decided to move to to Dallas. And so, um, you know, I was trying to trying to work all that out. You know, I, I felt like I kind of when when I decided, I just took the plunge. You know, I just I just basically just jumped into the water, and I was just like, I'm gonna do this and and learn the the rest of the things that I need to learn along the way. And so uh, I packed my I, I my re, my lease to my apartment. I was gonna have to renew it unless I literally left that month. And so that's exactly what I did, man. I, I told I told my my boss at the t- time uh, who was my friend Casey Halstead I was just like hey man I'm gonna do my own gym and he didn't even bat an eye man I, I in a way I felt like he was expecting like he was waiting for the day you know what I mean like I think he was like literally just waiting for the day and so he was just like cool man like whatever I can do to support you whatever I can do to help like if you if you need money if you need this if you need that like just let me know you know whatever you need and and uh, I totally understand that you got to do what you got to do and so he was like when are you you looking to leave and I was like I don't know man like I don't want to leave you hanging like whatever you think like I could be here for another month I could be here for another six months like whatever you need to help me make you the transition help you do the transition and he was like nah man like you could leave next week if you want like not a big deal but it wasn't in a way like where he was just like just leave it was him saying like I get it like if you if you got to go just go don't worry about it like I'll be fine we'll be fine we'll take care of it you know we'll we'll, we'll find somebody and uh so it kind of worked out like that but but it moved basically what i'm trying to say is it moved a lot quicker than i anticipated you know i thought he would say like well give me a month or give me this whatever and so then it was like all right cool so i i I, um, terminated my lease i uh quit my job and uh you know we packed all our stuff and we and we moved to dallas and so uh we moved out there and we were just trying to figure it all out you know I i would stay up at night just reading uh reading things and watching videos 
videos on 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 uh, learning about commercial leases and negotiating commercial leases. Oh my goodness! <laughs> my mom just dropped my baby. Oh no! <laughs> She's okay. She didn't she didn't get hurt, but just from the corner of my eye, I saw her. <laughs> I saw her drop her, but she landed. She landed clean. But anyways, man. Uh, yeah. So, so anyways, I basically moved out there and I, I had never negotiated a commercial lease. And so, you know, I got a, I got a guy to help me, you know, I got a guy, I, I hired a guy or whatever to help me. Um, and so he was helping me find a place and, and negotiate a lease and I wanted to be informed, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't just want to rely on somebody telling me this or that. So I, I spent a lot of time figuring it out and studying it and, and, uh, and so I was in the process of all of that, man. I think, I think, yeah. So I got out there in February, February, March, April. You know what I mean? Like it's only been like three months since I got out there. So it was crazy like that. It was crazy like that. And so, you know, I was trying to move as fast as I could, you know, like my goal when I got out there in Feb, when I, when I, I signed my, when I signed my apartment lease in February, my goal was to open in March. Like I was like, I'm going to open this in a month. You know what I mean? And then, and then things started to slow down and I was like, okay, April. And then things slowed down a little more. And I was like, all right, fine. Like May, like at the latest, I'm going to open up in May. And so I'm like, I'm pushing the, the broker and I'm pushing the, 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 the people, the, the property managers. And I'm just like, Hey, what's up? I'm calling them every, every other day or whatever, trying to get them to hustle on getting back to me. And, you know, I'm trying to hustle and, uh, and then they go on vacation and I got upset because they went on vacation, like, like right before Easter, they took off like spring break or whatever. And they're like, sorry, we won't be back for another week. And when they came back, literally the, the week they came back was when they started talking about um, going on a, on a, like doing a shelter at home and stuff like that. And so anyways, looking back on that, man, I, I, I see it as a, as a blessing, you know, I see it as a blessing because that could have been me, you know, like I could have signed a lease. Um, you know, it was gonna, it was gonna cost me, uh, a little over $4,000 a month, you know, just rent, just, just my, just to, to have the building. Um, that's not including like all the stuff I was going to have to pay security deposits, you know, like, you know, mats, everything, everything I was going to have to put into it. Um, and so I just think about that and I go, man, like I would have been, I, I would have paid all that money. I would have, I would have, I was trying to sign a three-year lease, you know, and, uh, um, I just think about that. And I just think about being, being, uh, attached to a three-year lease at this moment right now, you know? And, and, uh, I, I even think about like, even if the economy or, or not necessarily the economy, but even if allow businesses to start doing business again, um, specifically gyms and jujitsu gyms, it's like, I wonder how many people are going to be knocking at the door at this point? You know what I mean? Like, cause I know there's a lot of guys dying to come back to jujitsu, but I also know that there's a lot of people who are very fearful, right. Of contracting the virus and this and that. So I wonder, I go like, like, I just really don't know anymore. Like when I first, when I first got out to Dallas, I'm like, man, I know this business. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I, I got numbers in my head. I know how many people I can get to walk into the door. I, uh, you know, uh, you know, marketing and, and internet marketing and whatever, you know what I mean? I'm thinking about all these things and I'm like, I got it. I got it. And now I'm just like, dang, like we're going to have to rewrite our business. Even if I guess what I'm trying to say in short is even when we get back to business, 
we're going to have to rewrite the way that we think about jujitsu as a business and how we do uh, jujitsu as a business when we come back. Like it's all going to change. It has to. And so I think about that and I'm just like, man, this is, this is an uphill battle. Like, I don't know. I, I feel really bad for the guys right now who are running jujitsu businesses because they're, they're in the same position that I'm in of, of not knowing, like, we just don't know. The, the only, the only difference between me and them right now though, is that I'm not attached to a, a five-year lease or a 10-year lease. Like I can't imagine what it feels like to be those guys, man. Like that sucks. Like I'm sure a lot of guys are losing sleep right now, you know, where they're just like, what, what, What's going to happen? Like, even if we do, are, even if we are allowed to come back, like, what's it going to look like? A lot of people have already talked about, some guys I know have already lost 50% of their student base. Man, you know? And, and I get, there's a lot of guys who are being very loyal and still paying their dues and all that. And I think that's amazing. But at the same time, I think that those guys don't know either. I don't think students know either. And I think a lot of people have their hopes up and they're going, you know, they're saying they're, they're, you know, Texas is saying they're going to open up on this day or, or Florida is saying they're going to open up on this day or whatever. And they're saying they're going to let gyms open up. And, and I'm just thinking, and I'm going, yeah, but they're saying that they'll allow gyms to open if they can maintain strict social distancing guidelines and if they can maintain strict uh, hygiene as well. And, and so I'm thinking about that and I'm just like, jujitsu can't, can't check that box of social distancing it just doesn't check that box and so the only way for jujitsu to come back as a business is to fly under the radar and then when you see people snitching on each other and calling the cops on each other and this and that i'm like they're gonna snitch on each other they're gonna snitch on jujitsu gyms not because they want to snitch on them but because they're afraid they're afraid that they're going to increase the numbers you know what i mean that, that oh we only have 77 people affected in our city and if these guys are doing jujitsu that number could jump up and easily double and so people freak out and they go, you know what? I'm just going to have to call, call uh, the city on them or whatever. And so I, in some way, I see that happening out of fear. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't look good for us, man. It doesn't look good for jujitsu as a business, at least the way things stand right now. If, if, you, if you believe that we should be um, uh, distancing ourselves and, and, and doing all this to, to prevent the spread of, of, of this disease, then jujitsu can't come back and it can't come back for a long time it could be 2021 or it could be 2022 before it comes back that that from what i can see that's what it's looking like you know and that's that's scary man oh i hope you are so wrong i know and i hope i'm wrong too man i really hope that i'm wrong you know but 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 it, it just depends on where you stand it depends on where you stand on this whole thing man because um again this this opinion that i'm giving you is based on the worst case scenario for sure you know what i mean i'm definitely preparing for the worst and hoping for the best you know what i mean i don't want you to get me wrong i'm hoping for the best but this is the worst thing that can happen and i'm just preparing for it because um some people believe that that's how it should be you know what i mean there are people who 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 would look at you and think you were absolutely crazy to be doing jujitsu yeah i mean but again coming back to business that's the smartest outlook for business is to always weigh out best and worst case scenarios and prepare for both. You know, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic and also being realistic. And I, I think that that's how you assess situations and make good business decisions and good life decisions, not by burying your head in the sand and, and running around like everything's going to be great. So I think that you, you right. did well, you know, I think you, you know, best case scenario, a vaccine comes out next week, everybody's back to it. And 
you know, I see both sides of it that maybe because there's a lot of guys that probably weren't in training as much as they could have. And now that it's been taken away, you know, or guys are like, man, I wish I would have gone to jujitsu. So I think that there'll be that resurgence. But again, it just depends on, you know, there's also the people that are like, if I go there and then I bring it home and I have a loved one. So it's uncharted territory. That's, that's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. There's just a, there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, we just don't know. We just have, we, we don't know. We don't know what it's going to look like. And so what I'm going to do, this is my short-term plan, is I'm going to wait for these dates to come, these, these, these states to start opening up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch my colleagues. I'm going to watch other jujitsu owners open up, and I'm going to see what happens. And I'm going to see what happens. And, and based on that, um, I'll, I'll base my decisions on that. But, but as of right now, yeah, man, I just, I just decided to put it on hold and, and just kind of wait it out, you know. Um, and see and see how, and see what happens. You know, of course, I would love to be the guy that that's open when everybody decides they want to come back. But at the same time, I'm just like, ah, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm gonna wait to see what happens to them first. You know what I mean? And and I hope, like I said, I, I'm hoping for the best, man. I'm not I'm not wishing that anything happens to them, anything like that. I love jujitsu, man. You know, I always I always tell my friends and, and my students, like I go, I, I don't know, man. I, I really love, love jujitsu, man. I sometimes I feel like. Uh, remember the movie the sandlot uh with um what's his name the the you know um benny the jet you know how he always wanted to play like no matter how hot it was outside or like no matter you know what i mean like they were like man like it's too hot or whatever like i feel like i'm like benny the jet in the sense that like i always want to do jiu-jitsu like even when my friends are just like what like i don't know dude like kind of rather watch a movie tonight or i kind of rather you know i'm like like i just want to do jiu-jitsu and so anyways <laughs> this I, I want you to understand that my opinion is coming from a guy who like I really want jujitsu to come back, but it it just doesn't it doesn't look good, man. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I look into it, the more that I it just I'm just like, dude, like this is this is not looking good for us, man. It's really not looking good for us, <laughs> and it sucks. It sucks, man. And uh, things like social media and the affiliates that you have, like the it's 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 a smart play because you can have that open line of communication and you can watch other guys do that i think that's a very smart thing to do you know that's yeah, yeah. business decision is, is watch the case studies of people that are literally doing exactly that thing and, and just kind of see what happens man so we prepare for the worst and we hope for the best i, I think it's great advice now, exactly uh, my, my last question for you let's uh so let's say you just came across a younger ruben rivera what would be the advice knowing what you know now in life and in business he walked up to you and he said hey man give me one thing to help me achieve my goal or my success or life advice, what would be your advice for a young you right now, knowing what you know now, moving ahead in their life? If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It only take a minute. I appreciate it. If you guys could take the time, it would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. You know, man, I, I think that I would just tell myself to, to do it, you know, like to just do, to do it, to believe it and, 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 uh, yeah, to just do it and believe that that it, that it's going to happen, man. You know, I, I think that that if anything has changed over time, it's 
it's trusting myself and trusting my instincts. You know what I mean? And, and I wish that I would have trust my instincts more and I would have trust my instincts earlier instead of listening to everybody else. And so I think uh, looking back, it's not that I don't value other people's advice or anything like that, but I wish I would just, I, w- I wish I would have just trusted myself and believed in myself. Um, and I think I, I could have accomplished much more, you know, than I have, although I'm, I'm happy. I'm, it's not that I'm dissatisfied. I'm happy with all the things that I've done in my life and, and the opportunities that I've had. But in a way, I'm just like, I, I know I could have done more in shorter periods of time if I would have just uh, trusted my instincts, you know? And so, um, yeah, man, I think uh, if you've, if you've done anything great in life, I think that, that it's a testament to, to, uh, to you and your abilities and I think that that we should just trust that more, man. We should just trust ourselves more and believe in ourselves more. Um, and and I think that that's that's a huge part, man. I mean, like you said, across all kinds of industries and across all kinds of different professions and across all kinds of different things, it's just that self belief, man. It's a powerful thing. And the sooner that you have it, the better off that you'll be. Yeah. I think that that's great advice. I love it, man. Thanks, so- man. Definitely. Thank you for uh, for letting me interview you today, man. Thanks for all the early mornings and the great tips and uh, all the stuff you've helped me with in the map, man. You're you're a great teacher. You're a great competitor. You're a great dude. You're a very interesting story. Um, how can people find you so they can figure out where you're going to be if they want to book some privates when things start going back along? Figure yeah, out what man. Alice. Uh, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Ruben Rivera Ten P. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Ruben Rivera um yeah and uh yeah just just hit me up on instagram you know and and uh if you're in if you're in the dallas area just hit me up and and hopefully if all things go well i'll have a place for people to drop in and uh, right now i'm in new mexico i'm in santa fe so if any of you guys are here and in in the santa fe area albuquerque area just hit me up um yeah and just uh depending on how you feel about this whole thing um, we can train or not <laughs> well, I'll definitely get the stamp of approval. I train all over the country with a lot of people. And uh, anytime I was back in California, I trained with you as much as possible. I got a lot out of it. And I definitely think anybody who has the opportunity to train with you 100% should, man. So thanks for the time, man. I know I took up a lot of your day, but uh, tell the family I said hello. And I hope you guys have a safe landing over there with the quarantine. And uh, definitely keep me posted, man. I think your gym's going to come along. And I think you're going to be a force to be reckoned with out there. Thanks, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate this call. It's good to talk to you. It's good to see your face again, man. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Man. Definitely, man. And I'll be in Dallas uh, sooner than later, man. So we'll definitely link up. All right, brother. Have a good cool. day. You too. Easy. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text drummer to 
Four eight two zero one six seven for your free drum lesson.